Okay, so welcome to the fourth episode of our podcast, Sound Bites. Bites is a fun acronym um, that stands for business, innovation, technology, entrepreneurship, and strategy. And I'm really excited to have this guest on the podcast because he checks so many of this of these boxes. Um, Jake Tavert, he's the segmentation and targeting manager at Kohl's. Better title, he's a really good friend of ours. And so we're really excited to learn how he takes, you know, the intersection of data and marketing and derives some meaningful value um, for the brands that he's worked with. So Jake, welcome to the podcast. Thanks. Excited to be here. Yeah. I really appreciate having you on. It's been a long time. I haven't seen you in person in years, which is crazy. Yeah. It's weird to think about. Maybe like three or four years, hey? Yeah. Yeah. It's felt like three or four years for sure. Everything sort of slows down during COVID. Derek, you still racing at the track, by the way? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, over the last couple of years, again, since we haven't been able to do very much else, and that's effectively social distancing, I've been spending a lot of time at the racetrack. <laughs> so it's uh, it's pretty fun. I really enjoy that. Yeah. But yeah, man, like, so we want to talk through what you're up to now. But before we even get there, like, let's talk about the path from where you started to how you got to where you are now. Like, how did you become the person that's driving data-driven insights for marketing organizations? What did that look like? Sure, man. Yeah. So I guess I'll get, I'll get into it. Uh, let's see, I'll go back to my background is econ, econometric modeling. Um, but really I was a, I was a history major coming out of the junior year and was thinking, what the hell am I going to do with a history, <laughs> history degree? Uh, so scrambled and quickly, uh, you know, got into econ, took econometrics, uh, you know, like 301, fell in love with the topic and then continued that through grad school at Marquette. Um, and from there, I like really just loved econometric modeling, um, loved the topic, loved kind of like figuring out like, wow, you can differentiate the impact of all these different variables, um, with this cool technique, had no plan to get into analytics, um, at all. So I didn't even really know analytics was a space while I was in school, (laughs) um, so, so you like you completely just like you fell in love with the topic. You're like, this is just fascinating how you can connect A to B. And then after the fact, you realized this is an extremely interesting career. And then afterwards, you realized I can tie this with marketing teams and and do some really interesting stuff. Yeah, I mean, all of that kind of have it's not it wasn't planned, right? Like you just you dive yeah. into to topics and new jobs, and you kind of make the connections as you go. So, um, I got. I got hired as an intern at uh, Roundy Supermarkets, a regional grocer out here in the Midwest, um, and just started doing customer analytics in their research and analytics group. Um, so started doing some some customer segmentation, you know, using like cluster analysis and did some marketing mix modeling. Um, and that was really, that was my introduction to analytics and marketing. Um, and there was a new group at Roundy's and we were able to to use analytics to, to drive a bunch of value um, in the marketing decisions that they were making over there. Um, really focused around like customer segmentation and customer targeting. Um, so, and that's kind of when I, I really bought into customer centric marketing, like, cool, you know, products. It's really interesting. It's really interesting that like a local grocer, like a regional grocer, sort of ahead of the curve, at least on the data side. Um, how did, you know, was there like someone in management who was sort of spearheading that or the marketing side? What what got everybody to be data driven at, at, a, at a smaller regional supermarket? Yeah, they had, um, there was a new CMO 
who came to to Roundies. His name was Don. Ooh, there were so many Dons there. Don Hamlin, I think. Um, There's like three Dons that were executives. <laughs> um, so Don Hamblin came on and he was a data-driven marketer. He'd come from, from Sears, I think. Um, so when he, he came, he just kind of built the research and analytics team from the ground up. So he hired uh, my boss, uh, Earl Potter, who is um, an insanely smart guy. Uh, and now he's at Quad running analytics there. Um, and he built, then it brought on a few analysts and a manager and that was it. Um, and we kind of took off, um, kind of introduced the company to like RFM segmentation and started targeting, you know, our highly valuable customers and got them to come back more and more. Um, and you're able to, you know, decrease investment into low value customers and reinvest those dollars where they should go. Yeah, that, and that's like the ultimate goal. And I think a lot of people don't even realize that you can unlock those cheat codes. And like as soon as you start getting those early wins, it just starts to explode as like, what else can we do with this? How else can we make this work? And like, I don't know what kind of margins grocery stores operate on, but if you can significantly increase your customer value, your lifetime value of your customer, and then not spend money on low value customer base, it probably really moves the needle, like not even a little bit. Yeah, for sure. And you're just not right. Like you go from throwing out, spending a bunch of money on general public offers where you're giving people dollars off of baskets. Um, you know, the data tells you, right? Like it's not doing anything. The people who, who redeemed that offer, were going to spend that amount anyways. So what you should do is target that offer to people who weren't going to spend that amount um, yeah. and get them to spend that incremental, those incremental dollars at your stores. Um, yeah. It seems so obvious, but there are so many brands who just sort of throw one offer or one sort of strategy at all of their customers and expect, expect to see, you know, metrics up into the right. But, yeah. you know, it, it's not the case. To your point, you're, you're giving away margin if the folks who are going to buy milk, you know, are going to buy milk anyway. And, and now they get it with a 10% off discount. Um, how do you segment your customer base into folks who maybe were on the fence about buying it from your store and to get them to get them to convert? Yeah. And it, it sounds, it sounds like easy and obvious, but it's really baby steps, right? Like a lot of marketers have been doing these things, you know, and doing them based on their gut for so long that it's really on the analytics partners to incrementally show, Hey, I can provide value here. Um, and just keep gaining that trust. Did you That's see a lot of initial friction from marketers? Yeah, like, I still see it. Like, people want to go with their guts because um, yeah. that's what they've been doing. Um, and they trust they trust their gut more than they trust the data sometimes. Um, and sometimes, right, like, rightfully so, you know, analytics partners provide an insight and it doesn't pan out. And then it's almost like when it happens, it's like trust is broken. So <laughs> We got to start from scratch again. <laughs> We call that the the shark attack paradox. It's like, you know, shark attacks and ice cream sales is kind of a famous data set. It's like, if you want to stop shark attacks, you ban ice cream. And it's the wrong, in, you know, it's the wrong insight to derive, but they're one-to-one, -one, perfectly correlated through every single metric, but it's, uh, you know, the wrong thing. And every now and again, people will see that as like, aha, I gotcha. This doesn't work. And it's like, no, no, it does. You just, you found the wrong thing happened once. Yeah. And I, I guess I always crack up because, you know, I feel like um, data folks have shorter, like fewer lives than marketers. It's like you make one wrong move 
and you're out of there. But like marketers, it's like, well, the campaign didn't work. Oh no. But somehow, somehow they're forgiven, but somehow you guys have to start from scratch. So yeah, it's hard out there. I think you're uniquely positioned because a lot of times we're seeing this more and more where data teams aren't fully integrated into marketing teams or the data team doesn't have the domain knowledge required to give the right insights to that marketing team to get the better result, which leads the marketing team to maybe say, oh, well, we're getting crappy results because we have bad data. And it's like, no, the teams aren't talking together to have a common unified goal. But with your background, your business acumen, and your ability to be embedded in marketing orgs, I feel like you have some of that domain knowledge that allows you to get better results for your stakeholders, right? Oh, that's that's huge. Um, so in round, at Roundies, we were still you know, a little siloed. It's like you the research and analytics team and the marketing team. Um, but in my next gig at Econolite, um, it was one team, right? Like we were in a small little building. There was like 12 of us. So everyone was talking to each other. Um, and there, what I learned really quickly um, was communication is key, um, especially when, the, when you're the only analyst working in this business and you're getting questions from supply chain folks, marketing folks, customer service folks. Um, right, they'll send you an email, and you you will answer the question they asked, and yeah. you end up going back and forth, right, five times, answering these slightly different questions that they ask. And um, really early on, I learned, man, we could have cut through all of that if we had had a fifteen minute conversation about what your problem was and yeah. what you really needed help with. Um, I feel so a little attacked, Jake. It's fine because that's where Jake and I met at Econolite. I was on the marketing team. Um, so that's fine. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> um, no, I mean, it's crazy. Like, and it just is how it is. Right. That's why like ticketing systems can be so terrible sometimes. Like someone enters a ticket for a question they think is the question they want answered. Um, but not really. <laughs> and like, it's just the communication. Like it's, it's, you're almost like speaking two different languages. Um, cause they're talking business at business, language and you're talking data language and analytics language. Um, so you really just got to get in a room sometimes and, and figure out what the problem is and address the problem, not necessarily answer a specific question. It's interesting because like, I think a lot of people, especially in the marketing world, they're like, Oh gosh, you know, AI is coming for all of our jobs. It's going to flatten us. But in reality, it puts you in a position. If you can have the human interactions to get better results, it's just a tool to get better results. But if you don't have those human interactions, those things that are kind of uniquely human, then you still won't get those results. You can't just completely detach everything, put a ticketing system in and, and let the robots do it. Because again, like you might not be asking the right question to get at the outcome you're actually trying to get to. Whereas and a conversation I, will you know, expose that. Yep. And I feel like, um, Jake, you cut things off at the pass when I joined the marketing team and you were already on it and you got me in a room and you had like, flashcards. I remember it. You're like, okay, here's how this works. And I was just like, oh my God. So I love that we were able to, like, you could speak my language. You were teaching me yours. And so from there, I felt like we were able to scale that marketing organization, make it more data driven. Um, because you took the time to your point to have that conversation ahead of time and say like, here's some problems that we need to solve. And then I, w I felt comfortable coming to you, you knowing that I you know, was new to that space, new to e-commerce for sure, new to data-driven marketing. I, I had come from the corporate world and the B2C world where you had endless budgets and no accountability. 
And so now when I went to an e-commerce business where, every, where you were responsible for a P&L, it was nice to have somebody who, you know, was, was considered, I thought you were an asset, a huge asset to the team. Um, and that's how teams should work together. And that's, that's why I always un- didn't understand the friction because I haven't really experienced it a ton, but I know it's, I know it's definitely there. Yeah. Are you seeing that kind of friction in your new space or is it more of a team effort? Um, right. Like it's such a big organization that people have very specific roles. Um, so I do see a little bit of that, but um, to be honest, like in my period, the marketing leaders, like they really appreciate data and analytics and what it can do. Um, and they're really like, they, they didn't come from the analytics space, but they're very analytical thinkers. Mm. Um, so I think that helps a lot. And I mean, like Lauren, you mentioned when you come on to kind of like, like analytics folks, just, I can't tell you how much they appreciate it when you get like a marketing person like yourself who just gets it. Like they understand how this can provide value. Um, right. Like I had to do a little bit of work, but you embraced it really early. Oh yeah. Once I was like, Oh my God. Well, so I, again, like I was just so used to not seeing any results beyond like the vanity metrics. So once I realized like, Oh my gosh, I'm responsible for revenue, like driving revenue driving margin. It's like, I, I needed you to like help me be a better marketer. I couldn't have done it without you. And so that's what was, that's what I, that's when I really started to embrace it. And that's when, you know, Derek and I started chatting and I was, you know, singing your praises. And he was like, yeah, that's like, that's like the way that's how all data people are. They're craving for part, they're craving partnership and camaraderie with their departments for the most part. Um, (laughs) They often don't get it. But when you, when you have like inquisitive people that have a lot of, I wonder if like, if you, anytime you have an, I wonder if statement, there's probably a great follow-up. Like I can work with the analytics team. I can work with the data team to answer that. It's like, you know, huh? We talked about this one, this use case a lot. I think it was over lunch one time. We're like, man, I wonder if plain text email would perform as well as design. And this is like, let's, let's figure that out. Let's, let's, let's try it. Right. Yeah. Like anytime you have a wonder if statement, if you're truly inquisitive, Alex talked about this um, in the last episode, it was inquisitive people get really interesting results. Right. And if you, if you're inquisitive and then you're willing to follow up on it, you can get really amazing results, especially if you have the right people to help answer those questions. Yeah. Man, I know exactly what you're talking about. I remember what triggered that too. Simply learn, or no, simply safe. Simply safe emails. <laughs> We're all playing. Mm-hmm. And, and like, Mac Weldon too. Mac Weldon emails went from yeah. fully designed to plain text, and I, and I clicked on them every time. I was like, click, and I'm like, oh god, like I, I, I got completely got by somebody running an A/B test, and then I'm like, Let, let's try that. That could be interesting. Yeah. Well, this, this email signed off as Brie from Econolite. This must be real good. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, um, robot didn't make this at all. <laughs> no, no. It's totally, totally organic. Um, do you think it's a trait of most data folks to be inquisitive? Do you think it's required in your job? To be a good anal- analytics person, I think it is. Mm-hmm. Um, but it can't, it's right. It's not even... Like, I, I think most analytics folks are inquisitive, but I'll go back to communication. Like, you got to figure out what the problem is. Um, and a lot of time, I think it is on the, the analyst to go to be reaching out and saying, hey, I know you asked for this. I know you asked to find out how many customers bought this last year, but what is the problem you're trying to solve? Because there might be a better way. 
Um, right. Cause the strategy folks, they, they don't understand a lot of the times they don't understand what analytics can do for them. And especially they don't even like, they don't understand the data that's available to them. And so yeah. it's really, really, any, I can't tell you how many times um, I've, I've taken that and said, well, you know, we have these other data points that I think might be really useful for solving that problem. And they didn't even know they were there. Yeah. Um, One of the first steps we've been doing these days is like, we're initially like, oh, you know, you can do data as a service. It's really interesting. But if you don't start with what is your actual objective, not what you think the how is. Like, I think people are really good problem solvers. They kind of jump to a how. And it's like, let's get behind that. What is your actual raw objective? Now let's build the strategy. Now let's yep. talk about what we can actually accomplish and test to see if it helps you better. And then you get more of those what if questions that can inspire a lot of it. But that's the one problem with people is it's not bad, but people are really good problem solvers by nature. So they jump to a how without like they kind of skip over the whole objective they're going for. Yeah. And what, what's great about understanding the objective is, right, no matter what happens, you answer one question, three more come up. If you don't know the background of that objective, the analyst can't do that for you. So they're coming to you every time they answer one how, and you have to iterate 10 times before you get there. Yeah, yeah, and you get a, and get a worse result every step along the way until you can get yeah. to the actual root cause. Absolutely. So, so what, are your, what are the big use cases you guys are working on right now? Like, What are the big things that you're focusing on that you're seeing good traction with that are really interesting for you? Um, I mean, kind of the same stuff, just always trying to do a better job of identifying clusters of customers that um, are more engaged or different content works better with. Um, that's really what's really interesting. And it's, it's a constant challenge because, you know, that space is just always changing. You got to, you got to keep up with the customers, um, you know, and content preferences are always changing. Even uh, channels of engagement, right? Like, how I mean, you know me. I'm a. I was a DM guy at Econoly, but you know that's all shifting from DM to email to now apps. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. you gotta you gotta stay where the customers are. Yeah, it's like trying to solve a Rubik's cube that's fighting against you the whole time, right? Yeah. Yeah. What's a uh, what's a customer cohort that surprised you when you were looking at that? You were like, "What? These people shop here this often." As expected. <laughs> I don't know if there's been a customer cohort that surprised me, but like, right? Like, I would, I will say that channels of it. I've seen it, Lauren. You know this really well, but there's been a channel that surprised me, um, and I was prospecting Eddie Kindlelight again. Like, um, who would have thought that you could send? a 50 year old electrical contractor an email out of nowhere and engagement would skyrocket. Um, and that's a, another thing that I think is important for an analytics professional. Like you can't have assumptions. Um, Cause if you have a, like <laughs> my assumption are assumptions are wrong more than they're right. Um, and that, right. That was a, that was a program that I had, I thought had no chance of working. Yeah. Um, but just, I just knew what the data was telling me. It was telling me these are the correct customers, but you're not reaching them enough. How do you increase frequency really quickly? Um, so email came up. And even though I didn't necessarily think that would work, I knew it was kind of the right approach. We got to figure out a channel to contact these guys really quickly more often. 
more cost effectively too. We have that conversation with, with client base too. It's like a a lot of people think about like, how would I react to this? How would I do that? And it's just like, you got to step outside yourself and like, I'm not my customer. I'm not the person I'm trying to reach. So I don't actually know that answer. And sometimes we drag race bets. We're like, well, what do you think? You think this is going to work or not? And we we're wrong a lot of the time, but that's why you have to do AB tests, holdout tests and crazy stuff like that to see. Yeah how much is my personal life experience and bias throwing off what my assumption is of the efficacy of this effort? It's kind of interesting. Yep. What I've seen more and more, especially from the executive team, it's like they they have an assumption that X vehicle works or doesn't work. And then they want the data to sort of confirm what they believe to be true. And they'll twist that data, manipulate that data to reinforce their yeah. assumptions rather than just let the data do the, the talking. And so that's, you know, that's a challenge. It's like, that's, that's like, um, that's the danger of data. It's like, if it's in the wrong hands, you can twist it, manipulate it to reinforce maybe, maybe the wrong narrative. Yeah. They don't want to hear a different opinion. They want to hear their opinion in a different voice and then skew <laughs> the data to be able to make that true. Right. And it's, uh, yeah, you see, you see that too often. <laughs> I know <laughs> for sure. Um, no, back on that point, though, like, Lauren, you introduced me to, like, the agile approach, right? Mm, so, mm-hmm. and I think that that fits right in here because, you know, people spend so much time and so many resources on this idea that they think is going to work. Um, yeah. And then, you know, three months later, you've done all this work and spent all this money and it flaps where, like, <laughs> the agile approach is you're trying little things the whole way. And seeing if it works and iterating over and over again to figure out what works instead of wasting all of those resources on something that it's not going to pan out. You make small survivable bets. So if 50% of them don't work, it doesn't matter. Versus like one huge expensive marketing campaign and plan based on your baked in gut assumptions that can just sink you if it goes wrong. And that goes yep. back to trust, right? It's like, well, okay, if we try this one little thing, show that it works, that's great. If one other thing fails, it wasn't disastrous and didn't destroy the marketing marketing team's budget for the year. So for us, like on the marketing team, when we were at Connelly, it was sort of born out of necessity. It's like, we didn't have a ton of money to play with. So we wanted to take these little bets to prove to the executive team that yes, there is prospecting op- there are prospecting opportunities in email. There are prospecting opportunities on social. Electrical contractors also use Facebook and Instagram let's do a small test to show, but we couldn't blow the budget on it and then, you know, run the risk of that not being true. Yeah, for sure. Not yet. Right. And the cool thing about that was those, those other channels scaled (laughs) so much quicker and so much more cost efficiently than our traditional channels. So that was a lot of fun. Um, That's a good point though. Like how long did we test that email prospecting strategy before we went all in? I think it was just a few months, like maybe, Two, three months? We tested it for three months at a time, but I think we ran four tests before we went all in. Mm -hmm. So it was an incrementally larger test, but yeah. Yeah. And even that, right? And you're like, that looks like it worked. You scale it up. Like, I think this is working. Then you take another big bite and you're like, this is, this is it. This worked. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's still working. We got to go for sure. Um, And even that though, right? Like, Every year we'd go back and test, hey, is that still working? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because the, the it's just always changing and you gotta, you got to keep up. Is, uh, is TikTok a, a driver for you, 
Jake, are you a TikTok TikToker these days? I'm not a TikToker. No. Okay. All right. I didn't know if Coles was on TikTok. They might be. I should, they probably. <laughs> it's interesting because, like, I feel I don't I don't feel that old, but then I look at all the new tools that are kind of layering oh. in behind Instagram and the age demographics, and it's like, oh gosh, like I'm super old now. It's, it's really like weird we're going to have to be those old peoples with profiles just to stay relevant in our jobs. It's like, oh no. Yeah, that and as soon as we guy. join the platform, then all the cool kids will jump off of it. That's usually yeah. the, to the new one. To the new one. Are you guys leveraging TikTok for NanoShop? No, I don't know no. enough dances. I'm not coordinated, Jake. It's not. Yeah. It's not going to work. No. For Probably me. not right. Like it's so young too. Maybe not the right audience <laughs> <laughs> for you guys. I'm sure there's somebody on there in our space that's just crushing it. Just yeah. absolutely crushing it. Um, not our <laughs> skill set. Probably not what we're going to. We'll probably hire that person to yeah. be able to go crush it for us. Will be our goal. So, <laughs> Speaking of tools, what tools are you are in your tool belt these days? I remember you, you use R, but like what what other things are you using to get to these conclusions that you want to get to? Yeah, um, right. Like I, I've used R. I've done a little Python. Um, you know, lots of dashboarding stuff in Power BI and Tableau. Um, there's also some cool like no code solutions. Derek, I know you're kind of in. You guys are in that space at NanoShop, but uh, tools like Alteryx or SPSS Modeler. Um, I mean, right now I've, I've really shifted from like that kind of a role to focusing on really more of a leadership role. I got a, I got a mm-hmm. great team of five, um, and really great examples at Coles for how to be a good leader. So I haven't been doing too much of, of the actual yeah. digging into the data the last six months, um, which I, I do miss sometimes, but it's been really exciting to kind of, um, get more experience in that kind of leadership role. Cool. Uh, my team, they do a lot of like they're in, they use SAS, a lot of SQL, some Python, all that stuff um, to kind of. Cool. So, what what do you think the future is looking like in this space? Like we we all believe and we think tomorrow is more connected than yesterday, right? I think that's not even a debatable fact at this point. More unified data sources. So what do you think the future of analytics looks like and marketing looks like as that marriage comes closer together? Yeah. Well, I think like you say, coming closer together is key. I think, um, you know, marketers that are going to perform really well going forward are going to have analytic analytics ingrained into the team. It's not going to be a, a separate analytics team who answers questions we have. Sometimes it's going to be just part of the culture. Um, like we're, it's just data driven marketing. Um, and then, like, like I see that a lot uh, at Coles, but, like, you know, your IT partners are huge, too. They have to help get you the data that you need and the rights available so you can use it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and I think that's uh, historically during my career <laughs> has been, you know, definitely a spot of friction, um, yeah. you know, between marketing and IT. So the closer those two groups come together, I think the better it's going to be. Yeah, especially like being able to get clean data so you don't have to pre-process it that gets, or as much. That puts you in a spot to get closer to near real-time analytics, which helps everybody. And like that's what you mentioned. It, like we're, that's what we're hype on, the potential of what can happen when you build a true no-code platform where you can like drag, drop, and then just derive, right? Versus really needing to be super deep into doing all the connection and cleaning yourself, being able to automate at yeah. least some of it. Yeah, right. Because um, 
80% of analytics is data prep. Yeah. So if you can cut that down and, you know, get more, a higher percentage being the really high value insights findings, like that'll be awesome. But it's been tough. Uh, I mean, yeah, so far, right? Like, I mean, some of those tools help, but you still got to do a lot of the ETL on the analytics side. Um, so having great IT partners to help you out with that is huge. Yeah, for sure. All right. These are my two favorite questions. So we'll start with the first one. Um, I know you're a podcast nerd like me and a book nerd like me. What podcast are you listening to? And what's the last book that you read? All right. Podcast. Um, I've been on a bit of a personal finance kick <laughs> for the, la- oh, the last year. My love so. language. Nice. <laughs> so I listen to the Money Guy podcast quite a bit. Um, what else? I listen to the Joe Rogan experience yes. periodically, yep. depending yep. on the guest. You got to um, cherry pick. There are too many. I know. That They're dude pushes sure. out crazy content, like three hours a pop and like four episodes a week. We're Listen barely about- hanging on doing this. Like we're yeah. barely surviving. I don't know how he does so many. Every other week, yeah. one 45 minute thing. I don't know how they push that much content out every single week. It's fascinating. I don't, it's crazy. Like how long too? like, you mentioned it, Derek, three hours <laughs> You talk to someone for three hours, but he's always got more questions. Yeah. It's like a lot of psychedelics, out. maybe a lot of <laughs> But even trying to, to keep up with a podcast, it's like, that is a commitment of time. You put it at 2x and rip through it, like, yeah, it, it's tough. That is a commitment of time to try and go through all of them. But I'm like, you, like, I, I chip away at, depending on who the guest is, watching through that. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And let's see books. I think the last book I'm reading right now, so I'm, I'm reading uh, 1984 by Orwell. Mm. Yeah. So, Very good book. Yeah. yeah we, I got that. Uh, I think you introduced me to that kind of genre. You, you recommended Anthem. Oh, yeah. It's a great book. <laughs> well, back in, when you have to we break up your dystopian novels, though. You can't go full dystopia because then you, your head explodes. So you need like a nice fiction, like flowery fiction book after that. And, and then you see it everywhere in reality, too. It's like, yeah. you got you to gotta walk away from it every now and again. We had the whole team read 1984 when we were building an IoT platform because it was collecting so much data. Um, you know, you had temperature, pressure, humidity, volatile organic compounds. You're doing people counting, people tracking. Um, Drew Kolb, who we had on episode one, he's working for a company that's doing some really wild stuff with IoT um, uh, analytics, people counting, facial tracking, stuff like that. And so, like, same story. It's like you need to be really benevolent when you're designing those systems so that, you know, what happens when the generation after you and after them and after them get their hands on these tools that you're creating? It's like you got to. Yeah. Do it with good in mind. Good intentions, right? All right. Let's last question is if you could have dinner with 25-year-old version of yourself, what would you say? What advice would you give 25-year-old Jake? 25-year-old Jake. Yeah, what were you um, up to then? A few years out of college. <laughs> what are you doing? No good. <laughs> I think we're just starting at uh Sorry, my new job at kind of like, let's see. Um, I'd probably say, you know, your career is a marathon, not a sprint. Um, so just focus on keep learning, keep adding new skills. Um, and, you know, people a little further down the path for you, they, they might know a little more, but everyone's just trying to figure it out. <laughs> as they perspective. Um, yeah. I mean, and if you're not, if you, you know, 
if you're in a job where you know how to do it, everything with, you know, without any issues. I don't know. That sounds kind of boring. Go to so the keep next step. Yeah, exactly. Keep pushing. Keep finding new challenges, and you'll you'll get to where you want to go. That's a nice and motivational. That's a nice yeah. and positive spin. I love it. I like it. All right, where can we find you, Jake? Are you on? You got a LinkedIn. Got a LinkedIn. All right, that's where we'll push push people to then. Yeah. Cool. Well, we really appreciate you taking the time. It was fun talking through the analytics side of things. Fun hearing about where you came from how you progressed, fun seeing like that we're aligned on what the future looks like, more data, more connected, more integrated with marketing. At least we hope that's where it's going. And yeah, it's uh, we love the podcast role that you set out there. And we, 1984, well, maybe, maybe back off the dystopian stuff for a little while. <laughs> yeah, take a break. Yeah, yeah. Put something cheery in there. Yeah. And then there's this podcast, Sound Bites, of course. Oh, yeah, of course. That's oh my god, we didn't even pay you to say that. Like all of our other guests, you did that on, for on free. repeat on your on your Spotify playlist. Yeah, no, I've been, I've been uh, I mean, I've been keeping up with you guys, you know, with Nano Chomp and, and the podcast. So I've seen all the episodes. Awesome, thanks, man. Really appreciate it. Good. Yeah, we have a fan. We got one. We got one, Derek. Got one. <laughs> actually, like I'm, I'm actually. It's funny. Like I was like, eh, no one's gonna watch it except us. But it's actually got a lot more reach than I was expecting. So. Yeah, it's, it's been fun. We've been having some fun conversations, and it's been really good. I'm excited for uh, for everyone we get a chance to chat with. Yeah. Cool. Well, thanks, Jake. Thank you so much for joining. Appreciate it. Yeah, thank you, guys. Great. Thanks, Jake. Great to be on here. Really appreciate it, and we'll talk to you soon. Yep.